are kidding me. You are kidding me. No, no way. You cannot do that, Ben Stokes. Carlos Brathwaite! Carlos Brathwaite! Remember the name! Hello and welcome to yet another episode of By the Barest of Margins Cricket Podcast. My name is Aditya Narayan and we're recording this um, just before England take on Australia in what is their big white ball series of the summer. Um, we're recording this in the night after Pakistan beat them in the 30-20 international to, to draw level in that series. Uh, but thankfully, uh, the cricket action doesn't stop and we move into another series uh, which begins on Friday uh, with England taking on Australia. Um, so uh, you've heard him as a host on previous episodes of this podcast, but uh, we've got Sanket as a panelist today. Um, we had to have him on with Australia playing. Sanket, welcome to the show. How are you? Yeah, yeah. It's a bit of a role reversal today. So yeah, nice to be you know on this side of the on this side of the fence. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Um, I'm gonna I'm going to obviously. Um, if you follow Sanket on Twitter, you know the reason why I will barge him with questions on Glenn Maxwell and Marcus Toynis. Uh, we'll keep that. <laughs> we'll keep that for the rest of the show. Um, we also have, as usual, because England are playing. Uh, we have Rahul Vishwanathan. Uh, Rahul, um, how are you? And how are you feeling about the uh, the game that just went up last night against Pakistan? Uh, yeah, it was a bit disappointing for to end series in a low loss, but pretty good positives with Moin Ali finally coming or coming with some hitting uh, as we were expecting to do it. Yep, yep. Uh, some positives for England from that series, of course. Um, we've got a debutant, uh, as we seem to often have on this podcast. Uh, we have Dharmik Sankhavra, who is also an Australia fan like Sanket is. Uh, Dharmik, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you on for the first time. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we 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 we'll get straight in. I mean, um, we we begin with the with the T20 series that uh, that starts on Friday, and I think one of the big questions that um, that the Australian fans uh, or the Australian even the Australian um, think tank must be asking themselves is um, wh- whether they can fit uh, Josh Philippe in uh, because they've seen uh, how. You know, the likes of England and Pakistan, especially who've just played, uh, have integrated Tom Banton and Haider Ali, young superstars, into their side. Um, so, Dharmik, I'm going to come to you first and um, you can take this question on how how they can integrate Josh Philippe into the T20 setup. Do you think uh, Aaron Finch probably, uh, you know, demotes himself into the middle order considering that he's, he's, he's not a bad player of spin at all? Uh, let's uh, let let's take a look at this situation. Like uh, if we start the analysis the situation, uh, as we've seen in BBL, Josh Philippe is a player to watch out for from an Australian perspective, for especially for this series. He bats at the top of the order for his team Sydney Sixers in BBL. He can play, no doubt, play the quality fast bowling from what you've seen so far from his career. Like he took Jofra Archer on for a couple of years back uh, while he was playing against Obat Arigan. So he had in another impressive outing, outing against the likes of his team in Kapisa Rabada in an uh, ODI tour game. So he can play fast bowling, no doubt. So one part of the uh, one part of the puzzle is solved already. Like uh, for an opener, if you take on the fast bowling, that's a really good positive. Now he has also decent run against finger spin. Finger spin. Uh, 
but the sample size against the olexpinos and been recently uh, uh, recently not good enough so we need to wait and watch for that now if the philippe open and uh, uh, aaron fitch batting uh, bats in the middle order uh, i think the finch is perfectly suited to that role he played at number 4 for uh, i think 2 years at gujarat lions in ipl around 2017 and 18 uh, duration so he is an excellent hitter of the spin bowling and you can have a better option in terms of pure quality in the middle order and a certainly better one than the matthew wade so no one is betting out of their position right now but uh, uh what i think of what i'm looking at the current team management i think they will go with aaron finch first and josh philippe will miss out most probably in this current t20 series against england yeah i think we'll, we'll stick with t20s and uh, rahul obviously um the big talking point for england is obviously going to be the returns of uh, a lot of these guys in the in from the test side you know the likes of butler archer um, mark woods also been named in the squad uh, so so why who, who do you see rather uh, going out of the side from the side that faced pakistan and and also um, you know if if you could shed light on whether david willy uh, the, the situation surrounding him which is which is really really curious because man of the series against um, against ireland and then didn't get a game against pakistan so two part question first of all um, just a bit on on the returning on the returning stars and then david willy yeah uh, with the stars coming back uh, i feel uh, i'll first go with the bowling attack uh, the obvious ones going out are sakib mahmood is not been part of squad so expect jofra archer to him come and stroll in then uh, tom curran definitely uh, he goes out for me and you'll see probably mark wood coming in and uh, bowling in those middle over spaces the enforcer and there will be uh, josh butler come come at the top of the order and probably you'll see one of uh, david malano sam billings playing one of them will be top for butler and uh, at and instead of lewis gregory you'll see sam curran coming and coming in front of him and uh offering the new ball variety in power play is so these are the changes these four are expected to come back and uh yeah one of billings of malan sakib mahmood tom curran and lewis gregory these are the four people who are likely to miss out and then coming back to the second part of the question where you said david billy uh it's pretty disappointing for him because he was the one who was left out from the england world cup squad when uh, joe fracho had to come back in the squad and now he got a opportunity after one year uh, in the ireland series he did really well both with the bat and the ball and and now it's must be disappointing really for him to you know miss out in crucial series against australia but uh, i won't say it's it's completely closed for him because uh, the way england see is that they have seen enough of david willy what what he's capable of and what is going to offer and they just want to see sam curran who is much younger 20 21 22 what he is uh, capable enough to offer to just give him to just give him enough opportunities and see where he stands and he also has the ipl contract now in the uh, csk is uh, he's going to play the two next two seasons in the next couple of six uh, in the next six months and he will get few opportunities and then see where sam curran is really standing uh, in the limited door setup for england and then probably 
you know uh, leading leading up to the next uh, next world cup after those six months england will probably take up all where sam curran and billy are in comparison if sam curran has really uh, fulfilled the expectations ahead of david billy or, or not so i think till then you will see probably sam curran getting enough opportunities because ian morgan uh, specializes in giving enough opportunities like we saw yesterday that uh, you know it was mohinder was on the tremendous pressure and finally got a really good match almost he won the game for england but yeah so he will get few opportunities and then see where both of them stand but really disappointing from uh, for david willy because he did whatever he was asked for yeah yeah very fair points there from rahul and i'm going to move move again to australia and sanket and um th- th- this question i think um is not a format specific question but more uh more an entire overview on the white ball side and um that there is a feeling that australia don't quite separate the two formats well enough and uh, you know where a bowling all rounder at 7 might be absolutely perfectly fine in t20 cricket you might need someone more proficient with the bat at 7 in odis um and they've tended to play ashton agar there at number 7 recently so uh, sanket what's your what's your take on how australia uh, go about balancing their white ball sides uh, especially with the all rounders that they have uh, they they do have quantity of options but the quality is is a bit of a question mark well yeah, i think uh, they they actually you know after the world cup and the first the first limited over series of the world cup was taking the t20i series against sri lanka and pakistan and ashwin negar was playing at 7 in that series and uh, they've played five bowlers in t20 cricket pretty much consistently ever since but then the, then the first odi series that we played after the world cup was against india in india and that, there again uh, they probably wanted that extra spin option and uh, this this no other really you know good spin bowling all rounder you know, i wouldn't call ashwin agar a spin bowling all rounder either but he's he's probably the closest imitation to get you could get uh, to you know that that kind of cricket that you would ideally want you know Uh, were playing in in the subcontinent so you know england and got moin ali that one uh, although is not doing well you know to well in odis lately but you know that that is the ideal kind of cricketer that you would ideally want in your side to balance it out you know because you want 20 overs of spin bowling but at the same time you want you know three generic fast bowlers because you, that gives you the flexibility to use them in you know, at different stages of the innings so you cannot sacrifice on you know fast bowling Play the extra spinner. So ideally, the spinner should be someone who can contribute a bit with the bat. And Ashton Yeager just happens to be the best best option. But I think the moment they went 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 from you know the subcontinent to South Africa, and Ashton Yeager was left out, and uh, we went in with you know Mitchell Marsh as the all rounder, and you know we had Darcy Short you know filling in as a spin bowling all rounder. Although he's not really a ten overs bowler, he's you know he's a pretty much a six bowler, part time bowler can give you three or four overs a game. Uh, so that that was the combination that we used in South Africa. Maxwell was originally, you know, in the squad for the series in South Africa, but he was injured, and you know, he was replaced by Darcy Short, who was, you know, he was he was, you know, given that you know, responsibility. Now Maxwell is back again. Uh, but yeah, I think that that is the sort of combination that you know they they're looking to play in ODIs outside the subcontinent. And whereas you know in the subcontinent they went with you know two two specialist spinners and you know three genuine quicks. But you know, given that the World Cup is in India. i think that that is surely a matter of concern because you, know, you cannot have a, you cannot go into a world cup with after nega banning from seven there's absolutely no way to do that so you know obviously again you know pitches in india are very by venue to venue 
you know, maybe at some places you could go in with, you know, a very similar sort of combination to, you know, the one that we play outside Asia. Whereas on some places you might need two proper spinners. So yeah, I think it, it, we need we need a greater variety of options, you know, in in that that you know for that role. And hopefully Australia will, uh, you know, although I don't don't really see any options in the horizon at present. You know, when I look look around the domestic scene, uh, there's really no spin bowling all around or any any note at all. You know, all all those who are there are pretty much in the batsman who can bowl. The likes of Darcy Shaw, Travis Head, these these are probably you know uh, the options that you've got. Whom you could possibly you know, call a spin bowling all rounder, although that would be you know a very liberal use of that term. So yeah, I think that's definitely a matter of concern. And as long as you know Australia don't find a you know that Andrew Simon said for cricketer, or you know that more, or even you know a poor man's version uh, like a Moinali type of cricketer, uh, this this balancing uh, the team balance is continue is going to continue to remain. An issue in the ODI side. I personally, I, I have an opinion that you know, if Australia don't find a good enough spin bowling order, then you know, probably just forget about spin and just play to your strengths. So, I, I would be advocating you know, probably going in with another seam bowling all rounder, maybe perhaps who can bat at seven. There is Daniel Samson actually in the squad for the series. Uh, you know, I think he's a better number seven than Ashton Yeager, and you know, he's, he's a pretty similar type of cricketer to James Faulkner. You know, did a pretty decent job for Australia, you know, for a couple of years before. And you know, he was, you know, he, his variations got found out and then he started struggling. But, you know, Sam's is still relatively new. Uh, he's, he's, he's got a bit more pace than James Faulkner. So if he can, you know, adapt to international cricket, if he can, you know, keep, you know, himself updated. And he, he obviously cannot afford to be predictable. Especially when you use slow, but slow deliveries too often, you become uh, slightly predictable. But if he can... You know, become a, a good all-round bowler, and I think he could be that option at number seven. He could, you know, give that flexibility as seam bowling all-rounder for Australia to then play maybe two genuine spinners and then two seamers, or three seamers and one spinner, depending on the pitch conditions. Uh, there's also Cameron Green, who's you know, who's a prodigious talent. Is I think right now he's more suited to first-class cricket. His limited overs record uh, isn't all that great domestically, but again, he's another player that you know. Is widely spoken of and very highly spoken of uh, with regards to you know planning for the future in all formats of the game. So again, he is maybe someone who could possibly come into consideration for 2023. But for now, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's it's there are no really good options. So yeah, I think it's just about mixing and matching and you know seeing what works. Really, it's it's a bit of a uh, you know hit and trial kind of situation. Yeah, that's that's pretty detailed. Uh, detailed explanation of the all-rounder situation especially that is surrounding Australia and that segues nicely into my next question to Dharmik which is about an all-rounder who's found himself in and out of the squad after the World Cup Uh, Marcus Toynis who's who actually has come up with a great performance in the uh, intra-squad ODI match that they played both of uh, Sanket's favourites you know um, Stoinis and Maxwell uh, came up with absolutely <laughs> match-defining performances on that day. Uh, but my question about Stoinis, um, Dharmik, if if Australia want to play him in the T20 side as someone who who probably could give them a couple of overs or a bit more on a good day and, and who can bat, but his good T20 battings come at the top of the order for the Melbourne Stars in the BBL. So if if they want to shoehorn Stoinis into this T20 side, where does he fit? On Marcus Stoinis, I think Justin Langer was quite clear 
uh, yesterday in a press conference said they are seeing Marcus Tonis only as a top order better in wide blue cricket as of now. So as good as his performance is where in the intra-squad matches, he is not going to be looked at in the playing 11 uh, if we go by the signals of JL. Now that's logical also because whatever Stoinis has done to earn a national call-up, he has done that at top of the order. Like after dropping, uh, after being dropped from the last year's World Cup, after last year's World Cup, his only his performances were only at the top of the order. So no point going back to his old position without having seen uh, enough success from him in that role. Uh, there are two routes that Australia can probably go in in terms of playing eleven in in this particular series. One, they play either Estenegar or Daniel Sands at number seven and go with uh, either Matthew Wade in the middle or George Phillip at the top. In the second route, either they can go with another all-rounder option like Mitchell Mars or Stoney in place of a special specimen. So in that route, they can fit Marcus Stoney in somewhere in the middle order. But I don't think they will do it. And I think they will go with the first route by taking one special specimen in the Matthew Wade and uh, picking another all-rounder in and at number 7 in terms of uh, Estenegar or Daniel Sen. Right. Um, all right. Uh, my question now goes to England. Uh, it's about England and goes to Rahul. Uh, now that Jason Roy comes back into the side, Tom Panton's doing well. Uh, Josh Butler's into the side. He's going to play at the top. Uh, what happens to England's combination at the top there? Because England obviously want to see a lot more of Banton. Uh, I mean, they, they know enough about Roy, Besto, Butler, but... Um, so, so Rahul, do you think that, funnily enough, the the most inexperienced guy of the of the four is the one whose spot at the top of the order for now is guaranteed? Uh, I won't say it's guaranteed, but he surely has uh, better skill sets compared to Jason Roy uh, against playing spin, which is going to be a important factor uh, in the next T20 World Cup happening in India, supposed to be happening in India. Uh, if things go well, and and when you know you have two right-handers with Josh Butler also opening with him, you teams come and teams come with uh, bowling spin in the power play and with the slow left-arm spinner to so you, you really you really need a better spin, better play of spin to you know, tackle uh, a quality left-arm spinner and Tom Batten has showed a lot of range uh, in the series as well. The way he attacked Imad Wasim. In the power play, uh, something which Jason Roy keeps uh, struggles in the T20 format. In one day format, it's not an issue because he takes his time and is able to cover up the strike rate required. But in T20s, he just kind of gets stuck in there. And because the format itself is such that it requires you to keep going from the ball one. So Tom Banton is a is a better choice. Uh, but uh, obviously, Jason Roy, you know, will get get his opportunities as well. But right now, for me, Banton is a better player potentially. But yeah, we have we have to see how Jason Roy performs as well as of now because he's a senior player and he definitely get the first nod. And Josh Butler definitely opens uh, along is a permanent opener because he's one of the best now and he has a stellar record. And England has fixed the uh, Johnny Bester at three, so. The number opening slot of Butler and Bester three is pretty much sorted, and it's just between but uh, Banton and Roy. And Banton has done really well. He'll also get the opportunity Australia uh, against Australia because Jason Roy is injured. But then 
after that you will have to see how uh, both of them do but potentially uh, tom banton is the one england should be sticking to yeah i thought so i mean um, morgan's always the kind of captain who who who, who wouldn't be harsh on a youngster uh, coming through uh, in terms of uh, dropping him from the side so pretty sure that they will find a way to keep banton in the side at least for the for the first game against australia um uh, sanket i'm going to go to the um uh, australian odi side now and um i'm going to put put to you a question about another one of your favorites uh, mitchell stark uh you call him a mino basher which which is uh, strictly up for debate but you you can put put your points forward uh, but um something that you also firmly believe is that josh hazelwood is um one off if not the best odi bowler that australia have right now um and obviously the other options in the side they've got kane richardson uh, who who played in india and and didn't do really badly and i'm sure you have some numbers there which might which might prove surprising to a bit of our to a few of our listeners um so just just talk talk to me about the fast bowlers obviously pat cummins uh takes the role with the new ball probably as the middle overs enforcer but talk to me about hazelwood stark uh, and the rest well yeah i think australia's fast bowling in in odi cricket has been you know a game of musical chairs around you know mitchell, mitchell stark and pat cummins you know george hazelwood should have been picked for world cup you know, there were there were some concerns about his fitness but and he said that he was fit and and uh, that he was very disappointed to miss out and i think one of the reasons why he was probably left out was not necessarily because he wasn't you know fit but he probably wasn't considered that important a cog in the odi wheel and they probably thought that it was worthwhile you know saving him for ashes uh, but you know obviously it, it 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 was a big mistake as you know as it transpired in australia australian bowling largely was carried by mitchell stark throughout the tournament even cummins didn't have a great tournament so you know I, so i think you know josh hazelwood's value to the side has been you know odi said has been grossly underestimated by you know by this team management and even the ones prior to this and it is probably one of my you know one of my biggest pet peeves about justin langer's you know tenure as as, as the coach he's done you know a lot of wonderful things but uh, this this is something that I, i don't really i find it really difficult to digest because if you look at the numbers and you know australian team do have access to numbers they use data analytics and you know all, all that sort of stuff so you know if you look at the numbers uh, and i'm not even looking at the advanced numbers here but just looking at the basic stuff you know if you look at odi stats against you know the top opposition uh, there's a top five teams that is in australia india england new zealand and sarafa these are you know i think most people would agree that are, are the top five teams and these are ranked in the top five in the ICC rankings as well. So these are the top five teams against these teams since 2015 World Cup. And uh, if, if you, you generally judge, you know, bowlers on two parameters in the aggregate, the average and the economy rate. And John Shazabur is the only bowler, not just in Australia, but in the world who ranks in the top three in both those parameters, you know, against these teams. And he's, he's got a decent sample size of, you know, 20 games. You know, it's, it's not as big as, you know, someone like Mitchell Stark. but it's, it's it's not you know it's not like it's three or four games or something so that's it's, it's pretty decent uh so and yeah so yeah, obviously there are some caveats to this you know especially because of his economy rate he doesn't bowl you know that much of the depth uh which is obviously played a role in his economy rate being lower but 
you know, ultimately, I'm of the opinion that that polling is is a little overrated in ODIs. So, you know, that that is you know part part of the T20 mentality that you know often sneaks over into ODIs. In T20 cricket, that bowling pretty much makes or breaks teams. But in ODI cricket, you've got to see 40 overs prior to that in which you can make and make an impact. And if you can get you know five or six wickets before you arrive at the 41st over, then you know the opposition won't be able to do much anyways. Even if even if you don't have great depth bowlers. You know, whereas if a team is two down or three down, and they've got the best players you know, available for the last time. Unless you've got you know someone like Jasprit Bumrah uh, or you know someone like a P. Kalasit Malinga or you know Vasima Kram, all, all, all those kind of bowlers who can just bowl yorkers at will, uh, any bowler is going to get hammered in this current, especially in the, under the current rules, two new balls, you don't get any reverse swing with the depth. So unless you are, unless you can, you have the ability to bowl four or five of yorkers in an over, anyone. The death to when the batsman is going to get hammered. So, if you don't have good death bowlers, my, I think the best thing, the next best thing that you can do is to, you know, work on uh, ensuring that you don't have to bowl to, you know, the opposition's best batsman at death. That is to consistently pick up because over the first 40 overs. And Hazelwood and has got, you know, one of the best records in the world at that. So, Hazelwood so for me is a no brainer. Uh, coming to Mitchell Stark and, you know, uh, and uh, and I think I was just you know and I think this these are the stats that I've just received now. And uh, I, I I had originally just looked at this original overall numbers, which you know are a bit underwhelming. They're not awful completely, but they are a bit underwhelming against you know top teams. Uh, that he averages something like 34 at an economy rate of 5.8, which is you know very disappointing for a bowler of you know his reputation and stature. But you know when you dig deeper into it, and you know. His economy, his, his numbers in the first 15 overs, uh, he averages 47 at an economy rate of 5.5. So despite this reputation that he's got of being uh, a, a very good bowler with the new ball, is someone who swings the ball and wreaks havoc up front, his record at the top of the order is absolutely abysmal. An average of 47 is, you know, is probably one of the worst going around. And his, his record at the depth is where, again, he's considered to be a good depth bowler. He's got this reputation of being probably the best Yorker bowler in the world. Uh, you know, that is his reputation. Personally, I don't agree with it. So, again, you look at his depth, depth record and he has got an economy rate of 7.54 at the depth. So, again, he hasn't really done well there. Uh, so, and, but if you look at his record in the middle overs, which is the one aspect of his game that, you know, has often been, I would say, underrated. And it was probably his, his bowling in the middle overs uh, that consistently broke matches for Australia during the World Cup when they were struggling. You know, he, he, he didn't click that many wickets with him. All of us, and always in his second spells that he used to get, you know, opposition spells batsmen and completely, you know, break the game open. And I think that that is borne out in his numbers over the last you know, five years against options. In the middle overs, he averages 27.54 at an economy of 4.6. Now that's outstanding. So again, I think Australia have got to look at. They've got to rethink the way they use Mitchell Stark. They, he's they seen as a, a new ball specialist. He's seen as a depth specialist when those are actually the places in the game where he's the weakest and where he's actually good in the middle overs. And if you're using the middle overs, that also means he can use both Hazelwood and Cummins with the new ball. And both are very good new ball bowlers. You know, Cummins, in the, in, generally when Stark, Hazelwood and Cummins play, Hazelwood, uh, Cummins is generally used as, as a first-team bowler, as, as an enforcer who's just whose role is just to bang the ball in short. Whereas, you know, we all know that he's a much better bowler than that. He is a very skillful bowler. And if you give him the new balls, I think he can wreak havoc up front. And he's a good new ball abilities are well known. 
and I'll just go if you if all these three to to with new ball, and then you got Stark coming in the middle over where he's good, where you know he doesn't have to maybe worry about controlling the swing of the ball, where he can you know just go out there and you can give him the instruction to attack and look for wickets because wick, wickets in the middle overs is is what breaks teams and that that gives you that extra cushion of depth. So I think that is something that Australia got to look at, especially when you look at the matchups against England. You know, you look at you look at England's top order. England's top order is Gajis Kuroi. Uh, batsman is you know been particularly prolific against Stark. Uh, he's, he, Stark has done all right against Bairstow. Uh, Joe Root again has, has a very good record against Stark. Not so much against Cummins in his uh, And then you look at the middle order, and you've got Owen Morgan there. You've got Ben Stokes. Both guys who had issues against uh, you know the Ben Stokes won't be playing the series, but you know I think of England's first first lineup. Uh, those those two other ones to battle with Lord and Stark is probably Australia's best option against them because both Alias and Wooden Cummins don't have a good record against those two. And then you then you've got Josh Butler at seven at six, where against he is someone who'll be coming in the last you know last ten overs. And again, if, if you save Stark for the death, then once again he'll be bowling to Josh Butler, who's again got a good record against. So I think the best ploy for Australia would be to use, you know, start in the mentors, not just against England, but against all of the top teams that we're talking about. Uh, and as the numbers clearly show over a fairly decent sample size, I think it's played something like 40 games against top top five teams, you know, over the last, you know, the last five years. And uh, these are numbers. I think it's quite telling. It's the, the, there is a clearly a, you know, a vast difference in his performances across, you know, different stages within Linux. So I think, you know, the team management needs to take a deeper dive at these numbers and you know to rethink the way they're going to uh, utilize Mr. Stark. As for the other seamers, I, I don't think Neil Richardson should be playing international cricket for Australia. To be very blunt, uh, really there is absolutely nothing in his bowling that should trouble you know top class batsman. He's someone who you know relies on a bevy of slow deliveries, and he, he seems to have you know, had some success with that in franchise cricket, keep money cricket, but that's not going to work in ODI he gets milked around very easily, uh, and yeah, I, I just don't think I just don't understand why he's still in the mix. He's, he's probably going to play in the team on his side, and yeah, I mean, if he does well against England, then fair play, I think, because England have got you know an outstanding batting lineup. But if he struggles in this series, then maybe it might be in you know, a time to look at other alternatives. Uh, yeah, there's Riley Maradich in the squad, uh, who, in my opinion, again should be in, in, in the mix for both the formats, uh, in, in both ODIs as well as T20s. So yeah, Jensen's George Hillsborough is not a part of the T20 setup. Uh, in Australia, it's still need, I think, a better third seamer than Kane Richardson for T20. So in America, it could be an option. He bowled quite well in the warm-up matches as well. You know, got Steve Smith out a couple of times, bounced him out. Got David Warner out as well once. So uh, that's he's, he's, he's very promising. He, he's had some success against Warner and Smith, even in domestic again. So yeah, I think Meredith is, is an exciting option. There is Jai Richardson as well as you know, currently injured is undergoing shoulder reconstruction. He's not a part of the store, but again, he's another option that in Australia can look at in the future. And there's also Daniel Samson, who's more of an all uh, whom I've already spoken about. So, yeah, I think these are the options that you know, Australia got the passport department. So, personally, I would, you know, go in with Stark, Hazelwood, and Cummins in the ODIs and, you know, use them the way I you know, just mentioned. And for T20s, personally, I would, you know, prefer to go in with, you know, Meredith ahead of, you know, Kane Richardson and I would. Uh, or maybe you know try out Daniel Samson. They are keen to you know try him out in that all rounder role at number seven. I would be fine with either option. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think I think Richardson will probably play 
Uh, so yeah, that's it. Yeah, as detailed as you'd expect from Sanket about the Australian bowling lineup, and uh, yeah, very interesting about Stark, especially. I mean, he's uh, always always spoken about as someone who bowls at the top and then at the back end, uh, but you know, sometimes sometimes the the eye test does fail you. And um, as he said, uh, he's broken a lot of games for Australia when he's bowled in that middle phase. Um, Dharmik, I'm going to come back to you about the Australian T20 side now and. Um, specifically, I'm going to talk to you about Steve Smith's role. Um, you know, I think it's a very important role that he plays because he's surrounded by by guys who, on paper, are capable of you know 150, 160 strike rates. Um, there's this generally Warner and Fitch at the top, and then Maxwell behind him. Um, just just how important is Steve Smith's role in the side, um, considering that you're building up to a T20 World Cup in India, and Smith's not the worst player of spin in the world at all. Uh, coming back to coming back to Steve Smith, uh, I I would like, just like to begin with the fact that uh, what I've seen in the intra-squad match, I think most of the players got runs by playing at top of the order. Like uh, they rotated the player, and almost uh, all players got an opportunity to play either opening or one one drop. So they got runs there, but the, when the, it comes to the uh, question of playing in the middle order, I think then the thing that was most of the Australian batsmen uh, are struggling at the moment in T20. Now the role of Steve Smith is uh, that that's why important that he is uh, he is looking like he, he has found his T20 more this year. Remember he made his name uh, very few people remember that he, he he made his name as a batsman with uh, with this format of the game in 2020 uh, 2012 right uh, with Champions League and DBL stinks with uh, Sydney Sixers. He's hitting them nicely from the middle in the warm-up from what I've seen in this season. But his role can be really dynamic around the situation. Like batting first, if you are ever if you are having a great opening partnership with uh, Finch and Warner, he can attack he, he can come in and attack from the right from the word go. But if you are talking about a tense chase of one seventy four say and if there is an early wicket, he needs to anchor the innings and then he needs to, you know, attack when the required are supposed to do that. And he did that uh, very, very brilliantly in one of those Pakistan games last year at Canberra, if I, if I remember it correctly. Uh, that, as I said, I would take him uh, like striking at around 135, 140. To be honest, I would just want to him uh, want him to come and uh, anchor the innings for Australia and uh, playing other hitters around him, and at least you can have a one end secure in terms of this fragile, fragile middle order for Australia. Right. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, he's obviously a big player uh, for Australia, especially in limited overs cricket. I think uh, uh, he's more. He's he's really really important. Everyone knows how good he is in Test, but in limited overs cricket, uh, as Dharmik pointed out, um, the state of Australia's middle order, especially in T20s, at least in ODIs, they found Manus Labuschagne uh, to score a few runs batting at four, but uh, Smith at three, especially in T20s, is is so important to arrest collapses if if ever anything happens. Uh, speaking of troubling the Australian top order, um, Rahul, England seem to be intent on this on this one one bowler in the T20 side, especially um, to be the power play specialist, right? They've they've got they've got Archer to bowl at the back end. Uh, Morgan's also not been averse to using Stokes at the back end, although I'm not sure that's a great idea. Um, but 
in a in a full strength England side uh, with with Stokes back. Obviously, Stokes is missing from the Australia series, but in a full strength England side with Stokes back, do you think that power play specialist is a necessity at all? Uh, definitely yes, because if you see England's uh, bowling attack and the skill set which they have, it's kind of it. Uh, everyone is not at apart from Jofra Archer, nobody is actually you know has a skill set really to be dangerous in the power play. If you see Mark Wood, he's a bowler who comes and bangs it and you know bowls try uh, tries to hit hit on the batsman's head and plays that uh, enforcer role. Chris Jordan again is not a is a bowler who, who bowls mostly after the tenth over at the death. Pretty good with the Yorkers, but again doesn't have enough variations and doesn't really have uh, have the speed enough to you know again play the enforcer role. So he's pretty much one dimensional as well. Chris Jordan who bowls who bowls pretty good Yorkers, but again you can't have him in the power play bowling. Uh, with him because neither he has a skill set to do that. So you need, and with Adil Rashid and Moinari, you need one good bowler to complement Joe Fracha in the power play. And that's where David Willey and uh, Sam Curran, both of them pretty similar with the new ball, offer that uh, dimension to England's bowling attack. If there is a left-hander then uh, in Australia, there's obviously David Warner, then again Moinari comes into the picture. And but so you you obviously need a couple of overs of good uh, new ball bowler along with Archer and Moin Ali if there's a left-hander. So yeah, you and Sam Curran is all, Sam Curran really are no mugs with the bat. You know they can they offer pretty much a decent value with the bat as well. So as a, and England's problem is not in the batting. You know if you see yesterday as well, in England, last two games England gave 190 runs, 185 runs. You know that's if you don't give so many runs, you are not going to put your batting batting under pressure to chase them out. Play better bowling attack and just try to save some extra extra 20, 15 to 20 runs. And your batting is good enough. You know you have the Butler, Besto, Banton, Roy, Morgan, Moin Ali as well. So you have the enough batting firepower to score anything under 170, 180. But have enough bowlers for and England the best with all rounders, quality all rounders as well. So and so say power play because England have just got one or two wickets in the last 60-20s in the power play. So that's a major issue. So you need to have obviously now with Jofra Archer coming back, it's that's gonna be uh, pretty much sorted. But again, if you have one more, then your bowling also attack will also be pretty much uh, good enough. Not actually at the batting level, but pretty much enough uh, to sub complement the England's batting lineup. Yeah, uh, very, very fair question. Very, very fair points there by Rahul. Uh, all right, it's almost 40 minutes into the podcast, so I, I have to ask Sanket about this question now. Um, Sanket, Glenn Maxwell just scored a century in the inter-squad warm-up game. Um, I think I think we can assume that he was not picked for the South Africa series. Uh, obviously, he, because he had a few problems with his mental health at the time, uh, he took some time off cricket. Where does Glenn Maxwell fit? Does he fit in uh, in the ODI in the ODI side? I mean, I think at this point, um, e- even even the biggest detractor of Glenn Maxwell will probably believe that he has a spot in Australia's T20 side. But um, you know, for a team that is playing the likes of Matthew Wade and Darcy Short and trying to shoehorn everyone into the middle order, um, does someone like Glenn Maxwell have a role to play still? Well, in one word, no. 
I think I think that's that would be you know the appropriate answer. Surprise, but, surprise. Yeah, I think. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah, he scored runs in the warm-up matches, and yeah, I think he was actually originally picked for the South Africa tour, and you know, this the break that he had taken due to his mental health issues actually prior to the BBL. He had returned during the BBL, and then he was he was actually dropped for the ODI series against India. And then he, he was actually, you know, recalled for the series against South Africa and then pulled out due to a shoulder injury or something. So, you know, he, he was, you know, considered, you know, for that tour. And then they replaced him with Darcy Jordan because he was unavailable. Personally, I felt that was a little knee-jerk on Australia's part because he had been dropped for, you know, for the India series for, for the right reasons. He had a terrible World Cup. He's been in a abysmal against top sides in, in ODI cricket over the last five years, you know, that we're talking about this, the same you know, the period that, you know, we talk, just talked about Mitchell Stark's bowling, you know, Glenn Maxwell's against the same opposition with the bat, he averages 24. Uh, and even his strike rate, which, you know, is generally used by, you know, his fans as, as a, you know, a point of difference. He, his strike rate is 105, which is, you know, barely above average for someone who bats at, at his position. Whereas, you know, if you just compare him, and that's my print tweet on Twitter as well, because if you compare him to Kisara Pereira, of Sri Lanka, who was a bit, was a bit of a meme, walking meme on Twitter, or you know, on, on or in any cricket discussions in general, he averages 26 at a strike rate of 116. So I think that just puts into perspective how bad Glenn Maxwell has. Been. So yeah, he was dropped for the right reasons in India, and then Ashton Turner was given an opportunity. And Ashton Turner had actually won Australia a game single-handedly, almost in, a, in that Mahadi game in, in 2019. Uh, due to which Australia eventually went on to win the series. And that was one of the best things that I've ever seen when Australian batsman, you know, as a finisher in, in ODI cricket. Yeah, he, he's had his issues after that. He's, uh, you know, he's had a shoulder surgery that, you know, uh, and, and he hasn't really been the same since. So, yeah, it's probably understandable that he's not, why, why he's not on the side now. But my question is, if he was, if he was fit enough to be picked for the India series, why was he left out against South Africa after just two games? It was three match series and he didn't bat in one of them. And in the two games that he did bat, he came, and came out bat in pretty much hopeless situation. You know, the first time around, second time around, again, he was coming out, coming out bat with something like 10 overs left. Uh, that's not really, you know, enough an opportunity to make an impact. So, yeah, personally, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that Turner's been signed now, but I think that just, you know, illustrates, uh, you know, the lack of consistency and uh, the muddled thinking the process of a CDST management with regards to the middle order. Uh, which has been, you know, a matter of huge concern for the last, you know, five, five, six years, ever since the retirement of the likes of Ray Watson, you know, and you know, Michael Clark. Uh, there was James Faulkner who, you know, filled that finisher role very good, uh, very well for, you know, a couple of years. There's Max Maxwell himself used to be a pretty decent player back, but you know, ever since these guys have retired, and you know, Maxwell's form has no time, so has Faulkner, and just, you know, eventually dropped. That there is some major hole in the side there. And Manas Labashin is obviously a much welcome addition because Shida used to have a big gap at number four as well. But it was Peter Hanscom who actually first filled that gap in the series against India. He did well and was probably a little bit hard done by to be left out for the World Cup. Uh, but since then, Labashin has come and he's done well. So, and he got, you know, Labashin at four. Alex Carey has shown some potential, you know, you know, in the World Cup, he's been a little inconsistent, but I think there's enough enough potential to work with, especially considering that he's a left-hander, and you know, you would ideally want to have a left-hander in the middle order 
and limited on the second, I think sticking with him is a no-brainer. So, so you basically got two positions to fill. And ideally, you would want someone to can offer a bit of bowling option as well, because you know you need that sixth bowling option. So I think that is where you know that fascination for Glenn Maxwell repeatedly comes in, and that is why I think when Justin Langer explained just Glenn Maxwell's selection for the series, I had a Darcy shot, that because Darcy shot had replaced him in South Africa and and didn't do too badly. You know he he he, he didn't score particularly quickly, but you know those were low scoring games. On low scoring pitches, Australia had top order collapses quite regularly in all those games. So you know, he didn't really you know, have the opportunity to go out there and play his natural game. Although personally, I don't think he's suited to batting in the middle order anyway. So that's besides the point. But you know, purely on numbers, Darcy Short deserved to be in the side for the series. But the reason you know the, that Justin Langer alluded to for his mission was that Glenn Maxwell, basically Glenn Maxwell is a better bowling option than Darcy Short, which I find really very interesting because. Uh, you cannot be picking a batsman uh, in, in the top six based on his six based based on the six bowling options because Glenn Maxwell is not a fifth bowler. You know he filled that role a couple of times during the World Cup when you know, Stoinis was injured, but that was against you know relatively weaker opposition like Sri Lanka and Bangladesh. But you cannot go in with Glenn Maxwell as a full full time ten overs bowler in ODI cricket you know, under any circumstances against top opposition. So that that's out of the question. So he's he's in basically. To fill, give uh, filler overs to you know someone like Mitchell Marsh or the Marcus Swamis or whoever plays as the all rounder, so you cannot be picking a six bowler on the basis of his uh, 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 who's, who's basically a top six batsman on the basis of his six bowling option because that six bowling option is a luxury, it's not a necessity. Whereas having a good batting option in the top six is a necessity. So I personally find that logic very baffling. I'm not I'm not a big fan of Darcy Short at all, and he wouldn't personally be my choice to be in the middle order either. But that I find it, I find that logic a bit, a uh, bit perplexing to be honest. So that is probably why he's still in. If he doesn't perform, then I think Justin Langer has shown enough for the ruthlessness to cast him out of the side. So you, know, you, you probably expect him to go out again. But personally, the guy that I would like to see, you know, in the middle order instead of Darcy Short, instead of Glenn Maxwell, is Josh Philippe. And and I'm not going to, you know, uh, you know, elaborate about his strengths and weaknesses because I think Dharmik is already in. Done that quite well. He's, he's, he's pretty good. You know, he's, he's an excellent player of pace bowling. He's got that 360 range, and so far he's been pretty handy against the spinners as well. Even though that's on the field pitches. So for me, he he has the potential to potentially be, you know, potentially play the kind of role that Josh Butler does for England. I'm not saying that he's going to be in Josh Butler's class. Josh Butler is probably, you know, a top five ODI player of all time. So that's obviously out of question. But he can play a similar kind of a role, you know, similar mode of a role. Maybe not quite as well, but he can, you know, be that option who can you know, float around in the batting order and who can, uh, you know, be used as an option in the middle overs against spinners, and then he can also, uh, you know, go big against the faster bowlers in the last ten minutes. So for me, he is he's the a guy that Australia should be investing in heavily. And given that the number of ODIs in this upcoming cycle are considerably less competitive than the previous cycle, uh, the games are very much at a premium. So Australia have to cannot be wasting. You know, any more games on giving the same guys who have tried in the field, like the like of Glenn Maxwell again and again. So personally, I would like to see you know, Philip coming as soon as possible and you know, give, given enough opportunities to stake his claim in the middle order. But for now, I think yeah, it will probably be Maxwell for this series, given that he scored runs in the warm-up matches, given that you know, Justin Lang wants a six-point option inside. But yeah, ideally, ideally, I think in the long term, Philippe should be the guy to replace Glenn Maxwell. 
Right. I'm going to stick with the Australian middle order for my next question. And I'm going to Dharmik. Uh, in the last ODI that Australia played, which was uh, against New Zealand uh, before the, the lockdown and the whole the whole world went upside down, um, they had Manus Labuschagne batting at five, which I don't think will happen uh, now. And Mitch Marsh batted at six. Uh, no, Ma- And my question to you is specifically about Marsh. Uh, he got a good 30 in that game, picked up three wickets as well, man of the match of that game. Um, so so where do you see Marsh in this middle order? Because you've got Carey, you've got Labuschagne, who'd probably bat at four. Um, probably, as Sanket said, you start the series with Maxwell. Uh, so what is Mitchell Marsh's role in that middle order? Because you're assuming that Alex Carey probably is your finisher. Uh, Maxwell's someone who's going to bat, who's going to float around and uh, give you quick runs when you want to. So what is Mitch- Mitchell Marsh's role in that middle order? I guess the role for the Mitchell Mars should be to bet around the uh, over number 30 to 45, 50. Like the way you said, you can have Alex Carey as a finisher, but I would like uh, to have Alex Carey a bit up the order, like around 20, uh, over number 25 to 30. So that uh, then they can use uh, Mitchell Mars at around 35 uh, after uh, after over number 35 to like uh, finish the game. As you said, Glenn Maxwell should be strictly as a floater, like he has to bet around, no, if he's playing, he has to bet around over number 40 and not before, because before that, as Sanket mentioned rightly, he's of no use, absolutely no use. And more or like the case with Mitchell Mars is that he should be, he should be able to rotate the strike in, if he plays in the middle order. And I think there is some issue with him in that regard, because he's a good player of pace uh, bowling, but in when the spinners are bowling around uh, over number 20 to you know 40, I think there is an issue with the rotating rot- rotation of strike with him. So if you play Mitchell Marsh, you strictly have to you know put Alex Carey up the order at number five in my opinion and play Maxwell and Mitchell Marsh around around number six and seven, and then you both of them can fill uh, that fifth bowler quota as well. So if uh, Mitchell Marsh and Maxwell both are playing. I would put Alex Carey at number five uh, after you know Popner and Steve Smith and Manas Lamusen at, at, at your top four. So I would have Carey at five, and then I would have both of these: uh, Mitchell Marsh and Maxwell at six and seven, or what, whatever the conditions. Is. That's the only way that you can fit both of them in an ODI side. At Australia, I think they need to do it uh, some way in the similar lines if they are playing with the. Uh, uh, with, because, uh, as we discussed, if they are playing with the same, you know, playing 11 in the upcoming series against England. Yeah, uh, very valid point there about Alex Carey probably having to bat at five if both Maxwell and Marsh have to play. Right, Rahul, my next question to you is about the ODI World Championship, the Super League, where England are already 10 points down on what they would have expected to be after the loss to Ireland. Um, but do you think that they pr- they prioritize points right now, given that the championship doesn't really have a conclusion like the World Test Championship, which has a final, uh, but this has qualification for the World Cup. So do England take championship points seriously or do they ensure that they remain on track to their team building for 2023, which is the next big ODI tournament? Uh, yeah, uh, it's a tricky thing, but... I feel for any limited oversight, any top teams, well, their, their main objective is to, you know, find a combination in the 
and develop place in the four year cycle and have a proper commission going to the next 50 over world cup and england trying to do that and in that course of play uh, they'll probably try to gain maximum points as well to and it is a fact of whenever you play wherever you play australia is going to be their arch rival and you're going to play the best cricket against them and the squad is also happy the same you know all the world cup stars have come back all the test stars uh, the butler archer marcour and chris wokes all have been come apart from ben stokes who obviously is not here for some unfortunate reasons as well but england are going to take this series really uh, seriously and try to you know put uh, a strong performance because you know whatever it is odi league or not australia against australia is it's going to be massive for them yeah um okay uh, i don't think there is a more apt way to uh, for me to ask my last question than to ask shanki about t20 cricket so um sanket uh, my question to you is about you know you had this idea uh, you, i think you put it out on twitter as well you definitely put it out on our whatsapp group saying that australia should open in t20 cricket with adam zampa uh, so take it away yeah i think i think that 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 the idea that i you know proposed was i think strictly limited to this england series and i think it's entirely for the matchups you know and when when i just look at you know the england side and how they are structured it's got the butler and you know possibly tom banton being the series ahead of this roy so that's you know tom banton again is not a proven player of spin bowling although rahul said that he's he's got probably got more potential against spin than this roy but he didn't have the greatest of psls in, uh, in in the uae and you know he struggled against spin bowling you know in general he, he had a good season against pakistan but you know his strength is clearly pace more so than spin so and just what even though he's you know he's, he's a terrific player of spin bowling he's done well in test cricket in asia as well but you know if you look at his t20 numbers uh, if there is any you know probably chink in his armor it is against wrist spin there is numbers against wrist in t20 cricket where you have to you know attack all the time whereas in the other two formats you can go to you know rotate the strike and you know uh, take his time in this format when he has to attack spin bowlers relentlessly that is when he is probably slightly succumb to wrist spin so i think uh, adam zampa is obviously australia's best wrist spinner and uh, and, and and when you look at the rules in england got in the middle order england have got owen morgan who's Uh, and obviously a left-hander, and he's also someone who's a very good player of spin bowling. Now we also what you know, Owen Morgan did to Rashid Khan in the World Cup last year was, and Rashid Khan is probably the best leg spinner going around the world. So you know, you wouldn't expect Zampa to have much of a chance against him. Uh, and more importantly, again, we saw saw that yesterday as well, when he took apart Shadab Khan, you know, and we've seen that even you know in the IPL and other 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 T20 leagues that he has been a part of, that his his strengths are against. spin bowling in the middle overs is he's is a demon hitter against spinners uh, in the middle overs so yeah when you when you got these guys and, and johnny bestow is again first another batsman who will be batting for three for england in the t20 format as opposed to odi as very opens again he he is someone who's very comfortable against spin bowling so i think if england's weakest players of spin bowling are probably the two openers uh, in in the t20 side so my my my, my theory is to just you know get your wrist in around against those two and you know and try and try not to get them out and that also means that you have to put less example in the middle overs and then then you can have someone like Mitchell Stark you know bowling in the middle overs and targeting someone like Owen Morgan 
who was obviously struggled against Mitchell Stark. We saw that in the World Cup last year when he was bounced out, and you know, the questions raised over his technique by Kevin Peterson and other people about his, you know, about his uh, courage to play the short ball and all that sort of thing. So there are clearly issues there. Uh, I think uh, I remember in the 2015 ODI series as well, Stark hit Owen Morgan in the head once in the, in the final ODI Road Trafford. So you know, Stark has had success against Owen Morgan, and you know. Stark doesn't have a good record against Josh Butler, and he doesn't have a good record against Jason Roy, who was England's first choice opener in general. He hasn't played against Banton yet, but again, those two are good players of past bowlings. Why would you want to waste Mitchell Stark so much uh, up front against guys who are likely to play him well or who have played him well in the past uh, when you can you know, use him as an option in the middle overs against guys who struggle against him? Uh, even even best was at at his issues against Morgan uh, as a, at his start. And he he also be batting in the middle order. So you know have Mitchell start coming in in the middle overs and and Pat Cummins as well maybe you know and and go with all out pace against the guys who have shown some vulnerability against pace. For example, can be used as an aggressive option up front. And then you got Ashley Dunn uh, who was again the second spinner inside. He, he he can bowl in middle overs again. He'd be bowling to Left-handers like Morgan, in uh, the bowling to possibly Ben Stokes in England's full-strength lineup, but I think Edgar is a better restrictive bowler than Adam Zampa. So you know, even if Morgan goes after him, I think he's got a, he's more likely to be able to keep a, a lid on the scoring rate than Zampa. Who, if he if he if he goes for runs, he tends to over a lot of runs. So for me, Zampa should be used as an attacking option in the first six, and then you can use Edgar as a containing option. In the middle overs and have the fast bowlers rotating at the other end as aggressive options, and then you can obviously, you know, have have those guys, the fast bowlers coming back at the death as well. Uh, I would also use Riley Meredith ahead of Kane Richardson. That gives you three genuine fast bowlers who can bowl, you know, in excess of 90 miles, 90 miles an hour. That gives you a lot of options to use against playing in the middle order, uh, particularly Owen Morgan and Moin Ali, who have got definite issues against the short pitch delivery. So yeah, but if Keen Richardson wins, then that obviously hampers your flexibility a lot because he's again someone who relies a lot on slower deliveries, uh, and you know he's, he's, you can pretty much play him like a spinner. You can you know go down the track and he doesn't really have a short ball that you probably use. But yeah, if you're still going with the three quicks that I that I that I would like to see and and open with Zampa and then use maybe Agar just as a continue option for those, then I think maybe they can you know work out a solution to. Restrict this, uh, restrict this English lineup. Whereas if they go with the conventional route, and what I can see is it happening is still open with you know, playing with stuff fairly comfortably, and then you've got a great start, and then you know the two spinners have to bowl in tandem against guys who play spin bowling well uh, with a great platform, great lead, and that it could be a real, real carnage which as we've seen. So yeah, personally, I think against a team like England, uh, we've got uh, such a strong batting line, we've got to do something a little bit uncomfortable. So this is something I must let it work. Uh, it's purely based on my hunch and in you know, a partly accommodation numbers and gut feel and matchups. But I think given that the convention rule hasn't worked for Australia in the past against England, why not try this? Yeah. Yeah, again, perfectly valid points there. Um, so I think we've spoken enough. We've been already over an hour on this episode. Um so I'm just going to finish off with closing predictions from all of you. Um, I'm going to take two predictions, obviously one for the T20 series, one for the ODI series that follows that. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Rahul. Do you think England at home will be too strong for Australia in both formats? Uh, 
I back them definitely to win the series by two one. I think both the series will be really competitive. Uh, there's not much to choose from, but yeah, England do have a uh, better edge uh, as compared to Australia as well, especially at home. Uh, ben Stokes will be a real miss in the one-day format. You know, he also gave that important balance to the side with this four to five overs of medium pace uh, and a good, very good world-class finisher. He's at number five as well. So that's a problem England will face about there. And Jason Roy again, you know, there are doubts whether he will be back for the ODI series as well. So pretty much will be dependent on that as well. But England will be really competitive uh, at home, and I expect them to win two one in both the series, the T20s and the ODIs. Yep. Uh, okay, the England fan goes for England. Now we go to the two Australia fans. Dharmik, you first. What are your predictions for both the T20s and the ODI uh, series? Yeah, as much as I like Australia, I fear 2-1 in both the series for England. But I would be, I am excited to watch two players from Australia if they get an opportunity. Uh, Josh Philippe and Riley Meredith. But I don't think that uh, any of uh, any one of them will play looking at the, you know, comments from jail or the looking at the current sport so yeah 2-1 to england my my prediction okay so dharmik and rahul have gone for exactly the same predictions uh what's what's your sanket uh, are you also kind of on the same boat as, as both of them well i hate to be you know predictable and you know just agreeing to what others have said but yeah i think it will probably be 2-1 and i think maybe in in, in the odis England could even win three nil if Australia, you know, do, don't get their combination right. Uh, uh, if if their middle order issues persist, then yeah. And if England, you know, are obviously at their best, they, you know, the, some of their players were probably a little bit rusty in the series against Ireland. But if, if the best players are all back to their best, then they could well take the series three nil. But in T20Is, Australia have been, you know, a very consistent side uh, for a long time now. And even though I personally think there are major issues with the T20 side as well. Purely based on their performance, I think Australia could take at least the T20 game. And ODI as well, personally, I, I, I still think Australia will win a game, but you know, it could just as well be a three for England. I, I don't see any circumstances in which Australia win either series, to be honest. All right, so we've got unanimous uh, agreement on the fact that England are overwhelming favorites. Uh, let's hope we have a close series. I mean, um, We've all waited this long for for cricket to come back. We've had two two pretty good series in in England. I think um, both West Indies and Pakistan really really put up a really good display of cricket uh, for the most part. Uh, and the T20 series between England and Pakistan was was just as entertaining as you'd expect a series a white ball series involving Pakistan to be. Um, that's that's all we have in this episode. Um, we, we, we'll be we'll be doing a lot of lot of these shows in the next month especially uh, you know with the IPL coming up uh, from the third week of September uh, and the CPL drawing to a climax um, and we'll also definitely be reviewing this uh, white ball series after the six games have been played out um, so until then do do keep listening to us on Spotify Google podcast whatever platform you listen to us on uh, follow us on Twitter we're we're on Twitter at barest underscore margins and yeah let's hope we have some great cricket as we've had throughout this English summer uh, until next time this is your host Aditya Narayan thanks for listening by the barest of margins by the barest-
You are kidding me. You are kidding me. No, no way. You cannot do that, Ben Stokes. Carlos Brathwaite! Carlos Brathwaite! Remember the name!